John chapter 8, uh, I'm reading a, uh, an, an unusual text for the truth that I'm going to bring to you, but I want to remind you that uh, for every text in the Word of God that we study, uh, there is a, uh, a primary uh, interpretation uh, but there's many applications of truths we find in certain biblical texts. In some texts, uh, uh, text, uh, there are some secondary truths we can glean that may not be obviously stated. Uh, and I'm going to show you uh, something in this text that the Lord has given me. Uh, but I want you to think on this thought this morning. Uh, what do you do? Question mark. What do you do? Question mark. Now let's look at the text and then I will explain. John 8, verse 1. Jesus went out into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse number 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when she, excuse me, when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Verse 7, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without the sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, uh, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last or the least. That's interesting to me that the first ones to run from this situation was the eldest of the ones there. It's probably because sometimes the ones with the most to say are the most senior. But you need to know, too, that the older you are, the more skeletons you've got in your closet. I can preach a whole message on that. I don't, I've never understood that, why those with the most to say are those with the most to hide that nobody else knows about. But anyway, that's not our message. Look on. Verse number 10, or verse number 9, I'm sorry. They went out from the eldest to the least, end of verse 9. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You may be seated. I pray God adds the blessings and the anointing to the reading of his word. I want to ask you this morning to be still just for a second, and I want to, I will be, I'll be brief this morning. I realize in this text there's many places that we could go to. Jesus has been brought, this woman in a, that's been caught in adultery, we could preach about that. Jesus, we could preach about really the main thrust of this message, the, the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we could preach about that. But God has given us just a little different twist on this. We'll probably end up where you didn't know we would end up. 
uh, and uh, and it startled me last night, and and uh, and just brought shed light to my heart when God showed me a, a truth, a, a secondary application from this text. Uh, but I want to ask you this question: uh, I, What what do you do? Several days ago, I was talking to what I would say is a preacher friend of mine. And as we were talking, I had, I've known of the struggle that he had been in and really in recent months. Sometimes it's not the, it's not the weight that you carry when you carry burdens. But sometimes it is the weight combined with the length of time you carry that burden. Almost any grown man can pick up a 75-pound rucksack and put it on his back, but it takes a hardened and a trained and a conditioned soldier to be able to put that on his back and to walk for miles and even days and still keep walking. Sometimes the burdens we carry, it's not how heavy it is, but it's how long we've carried it. And I looked in the eyes of this preacher friend that you would say, and as he spoke to me about his day and and his plans and things coming up, and spoke to me about his burden, I looked in his eyes, and I could see inside of his eyes that he was empty. That he had carried a burden for so long that he was spent. That there was nothing left inside of him. God knows my heart for the rest of that day. And really since that day, my heart's been broken for this preacher friend because I know that the burden he has carried and the length of time that he has carried that burden, that it has broke him. And what's broke him, it's broke me. But what do you do when people around you that you love are carrying great burdens that's killing them and it kills you to see them have to carry that burdens that they carry? I remember one time a family that I know that had had, 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 had great burden laid upon them, and it nearly killed them and destroyed them. And for me, it particularly affected me. And, and uh, it was one of those burdens that you lose your appetite and, and, you, and you lose sleep over it because you know somebody that you love is hurting. And you want to do something to help, but, but you don't know what to do to help. And you try to reach out, and you try to minister, and you try to say the right things. And it seems like all that you do is to no avail, even when you pour your heart into it. So what do you do when you yourself, your heart is breaking because somebody you love is carrying a burden and their heart is breaking? What do you do? I thought, I thought about... My buddy Anthony Cogdell, when he was killed on I-40 down near the truck stop, I remember, uh, of course, hearing the news. And just, just three weeks before, we had worked the same shift one night, and we had met at the top of Russ Avenue about 3 in the morning. He pulled his patrol car up beside mine, and we sat right on that bridge at the top of Russ Avenue, and we talked for a while and met later in the morning at the magistrate's office. He had somebody in there, and I had somebody in there and three weeks later he was killed and I remember going to the funeral I rode with the police department down there because the whole police department went together but I had arranged for Sarah and the girls to come but the girls were small and I'd arranged for her to come pick me up so I could just go straight on wherever we were going and didn't have to go back to the police department and so forth but I remember during that funeral I knew that that there was his mother on that front row and her heart was breaking and 
I got in the car after it was over with, and Sarah come pick me up, and she, she reached over and laid her hand on my leg, and she said, are you okay? And I said, no. No, I'm not okay. Why him, and why his family, and why do they have to endure that? And so what do you do when the burden that somebody else is carrying becomes such a burden on you, and you can't do anything about it? You, 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 you try to minister and you try to help and you try to, uh, you try to alleviate their struggles and their burdens, uh, but you find that all that you do is, is fruitless, that there's nothing that you can do in those situations. What do you do? What do you do when you love somebody more than they love themselves and, and you're trying all that you can try, but you still come up empty? I remember a preacher friend of mine called me one night and about 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, 10 o'clock maybe, on a Saturday night. And when I picked up the phone, he was wailing on the other end, crying. And I walked out on the porch and we talked. And in days ahead we talked. And he was in a struggle, not just for his, his ministry, but for his life and everything that he knew. And he told me, he said, he said, man, I'm telling you, he said, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And I told him, I said, I wish that I could tell you that I'm the kind of lifesaver who would stand on the shore and throw you a flotation device and on the other end of the rope pull you in. But I said, I can't tell you that and I can't do that for you because I want you to know that if you're out there drowning, that I'm not going to stand here and throw a life ring to you. If you're out there drowning, I'm going to come to you. And if you drowned in this thing, I'm drowning with you by your side. So what do you do when you care so much about somebody? What do you do when... You know somebody you love is lost and it, and it causes everything within you to ache and everything within you to cry and everything within you to be burdened day to day because you want to see them saved, but it seems like it's all to no avail. What do you do? That's number one. Number two, let me, let me just kind of cap the story here. The... The, 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 the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, if you will, they bring this woman caught in the very act of adultery, and here's what they wanted. They were try- sure that the, more, the lesson of the story is they were trying to catch Jesus and hang him. But they brought this woman and they said, Master, she's been caught in the very act. She deserves to be stoned. In essence, they were saying, we, the law demands justice and judgment. Here's this woman, give her justice and judgment. I want to show you too that they walk right into the middle of a church service. He's in the temple teaching. Can you imagine what kind of arrogancy and pride that it would take to go get this woman in the very act? And they didn't bring the man, but they just brought her. What kind of arrogancy and pride that these men must have had to come in through the doors of the church and then bring right in the middle of the teaching hour when Jesus is teaching, bring that woman up and throw her right down in front of him in the middle of all of that? Such arrogancy and such pride and such pomp. Can you imagine that? And so this woman was brought in. She was thrown down. And in fact, in verse number 7... Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that they continued to ask Jesus, stone this woman. She's broke the law. What would you do? What should you do? She needs to be stoned. And so not only 
was she brought in and cast down and asked to be stoned, more or less. But when Jesus stooped down and began to write on the ground without saying a word, they kept repeating that over and over and over again. Stone her, do what needs to be done to her according to the law of Moses. It's interesting, the Bible says that now, the Bible says that Jesus knelt down and he wrote. What did he write? Well, he was probably, you know what I think he was doing? I can, if you let me be facetious just a minute, and I, I believe he was probably drawing pictures of skeletons. That's probably what he was doing. He was writing their sins on the ground. It's interesting to note that while he wrote, the Bible says in verse 9 that they heard it. The Bible doesn't say he spoke, that he wrote. But he, they heard it in their heart. They become convicted. Now, now bear with me. And, and then here's what happens. From the eldest, the one with the most skeletons, to the least, they all departed and left because they knew they all were with guilt. And what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he, he looks at the woman. That's a, and by the way, uh, that's enough at times just to know that Jesus has looked upon us, that He's handled all of the accusations, that He's handled the work of the enemy, and just to know that He's looked on us with favor and with grace, that's enough sometimes. But He asked her, He said, where's your accusers? Where are they at? And and, and she says, "Uh, well, no man, Lord... And, and he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now watch what happened. We're not, we're not even hardly talking uh, about primary applications in the text at all. So just listen to what, what I'm about to show you. And, and, and so here they come. They drag this woman in. They throw her down. Really, they're demanding that the law of Moses be fulfilled, uh, that she had sinned and she deserved death. They walk in in arrogancy. They walk in in pride. They walk in in pomp. Uh, they throw this woman down. They didn't ask once. But while the Lord stoops down and begins to write their sins on the ground, or maybe the Ten Commandments on the ground, they ask again, are you going to stone her or are you not going to stone her? What are you going to do? The law of Moses says she should be stoned. Handle this, Lord. Do what you're supposed to do. If you are the Lord, then you'll fulfill the law of Moses. But when the Lord began finished his, but when he finished his writing, they had all departed one by one. Their own conscience was pricked. They knew them, they themselves were guilty. And so the Lord, just like he did me and you one day, out of grace and out of mercy, he reached down and lifted that woman up and told her, said, go forth and sin no more. I'm not accusing you. I'm not condemning you. I'm loving you. I'm forgiving you, I'm restoring you, I'm going to use you. Now, now watch. Now, so, and here's here here's what the Lord and I'm and I'm closing I'm closing with this. I'm I'm almost finished. Martha, you just come and and, you, and get a hymn of invitation. So, number one, what do you do when your heart breaks for somebody? What do you do when you're so burdened for somebody? that you can't think, eat, sleep, work without your every thought being on that somebody. But what do you do when you love somebody more than they love themselves? What do you do when you know a loved one is lost or a loved one is wayward? 
And it's, and it's your every prayer request. Every time we have church, it's your every thought at night time. Lord, please save that individual. What do you do? And number two, we see in this text, we see that, that this woman was brought to be judged. That accusers brought her in pride and in pomp and in rebellion and in arrogance. They brought her to be judged. But the Lord, He lifts her up in grace and lifts her up in mercy. And so last night, I actually thought all week I was going with Isaiah 6. And then last night, the Lord brought this text before me. And and this thought came to me. Now watch. Hold on right here. You're going to see this in this text. The The Lord spoke to me and said this. Watch. If in arrogancy and pride pomp and all of that. They drag this woman down and demand justice and demand judgment. And they ask again and they ask again, give her justice, give her judgment. If when these uh, Pharisees and scribes bring this woman in, throw her down and ask for all of that, but God gives her grace and God gives her mercy. The Lord said last night, what do you think would happen if you come broken over somebody? What do you think would happen if you come burdened over somebody? What do you think would happen if you bring your pain for somebody else to me? If these scribes and Pharisees can bring in arrogance and pride a woman and throw her down and say, Now judge her, Lord, she's broke the law. But God, but Jesus lifts her up in mercy and in grace. If, if that happens with her, what might happen if I take that person I'm so burdened for and come because I'm broken, come because I, there's pain in my heart, and come because I don't know anything else I can do? What would happen if I brought them to the Lord? What might God do? You see what I'm saying? These Pharisees in pride and pomp brought a woman, threw her down, said, Judge her. Jesus lifted her up and gave her life. What if we what if what if I brought my what if I brought the person that I loved? What if what if two of us carried a person we loved, just like the disciples did that man on the stretcher who was crippled and he himself couldn't come to Jesus? And so thank God one day there was four men who looked upon him and said, You know what? He's so weak and he's so crippled and he's so broken he can't get there by himself. But what we're going to do is we're going to put him on a stretcher. We're going to, you're going to get one side and you're going to get the other and I'm going to get this one and he's going to get that one. And we're going to go get them till they get there and they still can't get to you. They say, it's okay. We can't get through the front door. We'll go up this set of side stairs to the rooftop and we'll tear apart that roof layer by layer and shingle by shingle until there's a hole where we can see the master down in the midst teaching and we'll just lower our our loved friend down through that hole so Jesus could touch them. And that's what they did. Listen to me. You say, preacher, I've already asked. Well, the Bible says ask again. He said, ask, seek, and find, ask, seek, and knock, and literally ask, and keep on asking, seek, and keep on seeking, and knock, and keep on knocking. Those friends were not deterred when they had that friend on that stretcher. They carried that man to Jesus. They couldn't get to him, and they did anything they had to do. Tore the roof off the church just to get to Jesus. I've stood in that altar before. Near an invitation time, we've prayed for somebody. And they've been present in the midst, or they've been present in our service, and I've looked on their face, and they would be weeping and crying. And 
I don't know if the need was to lay a burden down. The need was to come and bring their marriage to this altar. Their need was to be saved. But we had prayed for them and prayed for them, and they become a, become a personal burden to me. And I wanted to see them have help, and I wanted to see them find relief. I wanted to see them saved, and they would not move. And so I've stood at that altar, and I've said, Lord, Lord, they're here tonight. Lord, you've done a work already in their heart. But God, you can't let them leave here until you move them to this altar. Lord, it's in your hands now. You've got to do this, Lord. He's a preacher. That sounds demanding. Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. See, we've got to come bold in our prayer life. Oh, not in arrogance and not in pride. I'm not marching into the throne room demanding that my will become His will or demanding that He give me my way or demanding that He do something that would bring glory to me. We march into the throne room because we love people and we love Him and we pray things and ask things that we know is His will and in accordance to His will. And when we pray in His will, then God help us not to come in feebly, not lot to come in weak-minded and weak-hearted, but to come in boldly because people's lives are at stake here. And I've said, God, you've got to move them. You've got to move them, Lord. You have to do something. You're bound by your word. And then they would move and they would come. Why? Because, because if the Lord takes a bunch of scribes and Pharisees that have moved in arrogance and pride and demanded stoning, but the Lord moves in grace and mercy. What would He do if you brought that loved one you love so much, that friend you care about so much, that burden that's so heavy on your heart for somebody else, what might He do today if you brought that and just give it to Him? He lifted that woman up. What would He do when you come out of a burden and when you come out of such... Such, a, such, such, you move to this altar because you have such pain in your heart from, for somebody else. Uh, come, come up here, Seth. Jesse, Drew. Sit down right. No, stand up right there, right there, Seth. Jesse, you get on one side. And Drew, you get on the other. This is a, this is a uh, familiar text. I know. There's some paintings out there that you ought to look up. Some from the 1500s, the 1600s, when when art was art. Uh, and there's some pictures of this uh, in on the internet. But it's that familiar story from Exodus 17, where Israel is battling the Amalekites. And uh, you, you, uh, you know the story, but I want you to get a visual, and I want you to see this. And they battle the Malachites, and the battle lasts all day long. It's not the weight of the burden, but it's the length of the burden that we carry. It gets us down. And so all day long the Bible says that Moses, that he'd raise that staff up. And when he would raise that staff up, God would start giving victory. Israel prevailed in the battle. And then by the course of nature, because he's frail, Strong a man as he was, Moses was frail. In the course of the battle, he got tired, and he'd get weary, and his arms would fall by his side. And when they'd fall by his side, Israel would suffer defeat, and Amalek, the Malachites, would prevail. And so Moses would get a little more energy and regain strength. He'd lift it up again, and Israel would prevail. 
And he'd get tired and the Amalekites would prevail and Israel would suffer loss. And so God sent him somebody to his side who could carry the burden that he was carrying that loved him like, like that the Lord loved him and that desired for him uh, to, have, to know God's will and to know God's power and to know God's victory. He sent Aaron and he sent her and they recognized that this man grew frail, this man grew weak and they had to do something that victory may come to him. And so they come up to him and the first thing the Bible says, they sit him down on a rock. I like that analogy. I don't have to preach on that. You know what that is. And then the Bible says that one got one hand and one got the other and they lifted his hands up and they stayed, they, they stayed his hands in that place so that when he grew weak, he didn't have to hold it up, but somebody held it for him. That when he grew weak, he could hold it up and he could hold it up. And the Bible says that Israel had the victory. And the Bible then says that the, that the Moses, this was a new revelation of God's character. A new name was given unto the Lord by His people. And it was Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And here's what happened. The Lord said after that, the Amalekites will never be a problem again. This day, they are defeated forever. There'll never be another battle against the Amalekites. Make no mistake about it, there'll be other battles, and indeed there was. But there'll never be this battle again. This battle's been won not because of the strength of this man. This battle's been won because this man had a burden, and that man had a burden. And they saw they couldn't do it by themselves, and so what they did, they said, hey we got a friend up there. Sure, he's the man of God who brought us out of Egypt. Sure, God's used him and appointed him. But he's a man like we are, and he's a friend. And what we're going to do today is, let's go up there, Aaron, and let's go up there, her, and let's raise his arms up so that together we'll have the victory. I want to ask you this this morning. I don't even know where I'll put my glass. I want to ask you this this morning. Have you got somebody that you're, that you're burdened for? Somebody that your heart breaks and aches for? I'll tell you this, if you're anywhere near the Lord, you do. I mean, is there, is there, is there people around you that you just you can't forget about? Is there people around you that you just can't leave behind? Is there people around you like my friend who you would say to them today if they could hear it? I won't stand on the bank and throw you a life preserver. And if you're going to drown and die, I'm going to drown and die with you trying to save you. Have you got anybody like that in your life? Listen to me, if those old Pharisees and scribes, if they could bring that woman out of arrogance and pride and ask and ask again, and though they they demanded justice, Christ give mercy, what would He do with you today if you'd come again and just bring that loved one and say, Lord, I can't do it no more. Lord, I can't help them, and I'm trying. Lord, I can't save them, and I've done all I can do, and I've tried. But Lord, ultimately, if there's, been, if there's going to be help, ultimately, if there's going to be relief, then Lord, I'm going to lay them on you, and I'm going to get on one side, and somebody else is going to get on the other until they have victory and they never face this particular battle again. What do you think the Lord would do? Stand, Martha, sing. Come, come. I know you love somebody that much. 
and you can't help them. And I, and I can't help them. Oh, but the Lord can. When the storms yeah. are raging, <laughs> yeah. I'll not be yeah. You know somebody facing a storm. <laughs> God holds yeah. me in the palm yes, of His hand. Yes, He does. Yeah. When my ship is drifting I tried. and the sails are frayed. Yeah. God when I can't hold it, He can. In the palm of His yes, hand. Yes. That's right. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. He's a refuge. Yes, thank God. A shelter from thank you, Lord. the storm yeah. of Upon which I stand. Hallelujah. Thank God, thank God. Yes. I'm in the palm of His hand. Thank God we set Him on the rock. Yes. Though the world may crumble, I'll still praise His name. God holds me in the palm of His hand. I'll shout it from the mountains. I'll not be ashamed. Lord, I can't, but you can. I'm unable, but God, I'm glad that you're able. Thank God. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm glad that you know. He's a refuge. He knew the end from the beginning. A shelter from the storm. Thank you, Lord. Helping you today. Yeah. The storm. What do you do? Well, you just lay him on Jesus. He's trustworthy. Upon which I stand. <laughs> thank God, thank God. I'm in the palm of his hand. I remember for years in ministry. I thought I had all the right answers for people. And indeed, up to that point, every situation that I had encountered in the road of ministry, I, I had all the answers. God had given me experience both in the secular world and in ministry. For, but for what I had experienced in ministry to that point, yes, I had answers and I was able to help people. 
And I remember just a couple years ago, such great burdens coming to the life of people I was ministering to. And I realized, Lord, I can't help them. I discovered my own frailty. It's like you need to discover yours. Lord, I, Lord I'll love them. Lord, I'll pray for them. Lord, I'll, I'll hold their hand. Lord, I'll drown with them. But Lord, I can't help them. If they're going to have any help, you're going to have to do it. If they're ever going to be rescued, you'll have to be the rock. If their marriage is ever going to be saved, it'll be because of you. If their soul's ever going to be saved from hell, it'll be because you did it. So, Lord, I'm just laying them on you. I can't help them, Lord, but you can. I'm going to lift them up, but you be their help. I hope you did that today. I believe the Lord's right on time this morning. What do you think?